Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Everyone is Hot, the podcast that talks about your favorite stealth sex symbols and the film that turned you on to them. I'm Shelley Brooks, and I am flying solo this week. Michael is out of town, so it's just going to be your bud, Shelley. But it's exciting. We're going to have fun because we do have an amazing guest. Oh, I'm very, very, very excited to introduce this person. This is a journalist a programmer, a producer, and a host, Hafa Salas Ross. Oh, this is so nice. You know, you hear the people getting introduced and you're like, wow, this is incredible. And then it happens to you. Yeah, dreams do come true. This is wonderful. Thanks for having this me. This is what we're here for, to, to make dreams come true. And Hapa is coming to us from uh, one of the furthest locations that we've had, all the way from Aberdeen in Scotland. Yeah, I come from the land of sheep farms and butteries and scones and tons of berries in Scotland. It's a lovely place. I haven't been uh, since I was a teenager. I did go to Edinburgh as a teen for the Fringe. Um and my highlight, I think, of the trip was we went to the countryside and met Hamish the Highland Koo, which was uh, <laughs> a real treat. And apparently he had his like own theme song because we would like go pet him and be like, Hamish the Highland Koo. <laughs> so, so I have very fond memories of Scotland. <laughs> so what time is it for you there? <laughs> it is 3 p.m. So mid-afternoon. Okay. What right, time is it yeah. there? 10 a.m. over here. So yeah. Oh my gosh. We're traveling across time to have this conversation. It's lovely. <laughs> well, it's been fine I'm, in the five hours I'm ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing major has happened since. 
Well, so you have a really great crush this week. I am very excited about this one. Uh, we're going to be talking about a movie that I hadn't seen since I was a teenager. It's going to be lots of teen talk, it seems, in this episode. <laughs> so, Hafa, tell us, who is your stealth sex symbol this week, and what movie are we going to be talking about? My sex symbol is the one and only Emma Thompson, Dame Emma Thompson, <sighs> in Stranger Than Fiction, which is a film that I love dearly. And mm-hmm. I do think it fits the podcast very nicely because everyone is hot yeah. in that film. Uh, <laughs> it's so true. I think that's true. No, it's so true. Uh, so this is from 2006, directed by Mark Forster. Um, so I rewatched it for the first time in, God, years for the podcast the other day. I was watching with my uncle. And every time a new actor came on, we're like, oh my God, this person's in it too? Wait, this person's in it too? Just like a string of like, you know, great actor hotties. Um, are there other people in the cast that like really do it for you as well? Oh, <laughs> uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, but that would be a hundred percent cheating because I don't think there's yeah. a person in the world who does not think that Maggie Gyllenhaal is hot. And as an anarchist baker, this oh, like the tattoos. Oh, oh, I know the bandana. She mm-hmm. smells a flower. This is like checking all of the boxes for me. And I think Will Ferrell is hot in that film. I think Queen Latifah yeah. is hot in that film. Dustin Hoffman oh. is hot in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is hot always as well. But um, oh, no. yeah, it's a oh. very hot film. Very, very hot film. Well, before we get into the main conversation, uh, we do like to give a little synopsis in case any of the listeners uh, aren't familiar with the, the plot of the movie. So this is the plot of Stranger Than Fiction from 2006 by Mark Forster. Harold Crick is your average IRS agent. Monotonous, boring, and repetitive. But one day, this all changes when Harold begins to hear an author inside of his head narrating his life. But when the narration reveals that he is going to die, Harold must find the author of the story and ultimately his life to convince her to change the ending of the story before it's too late. How was that? Oh my god! <laughs> this is doing it for me! This is kind of dangerous. Ah, yes. It's tricking the ever Oh man! This is dangerous here. I could hear her almost. This is uh, great. God, yeah, her voice has been in my head for days ever since I rewatched the movie. <laughs> oh, and I can't stop thinking about her and her little cigarettes and spitting into her little tissues. Ugh. Mm, you know what? I hate smokers. I hate smoking yeah. in general. But that is just so hot. No, what can you say? Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> well, speaking of it being so hot, before we get into our main talk, we like to uh, loosen up a little bit. We like to get a little slick and we do that with something called the sexy trivia game Rafa would you like to start us off with letter A this is terrifying please (laughs) listeners please be nice to me I don't think I have a sexy voice alright let's do it While filming, Will Ferrell wore an earpiece that fed him Dame Emma Thompson's narrative lines. In order to assist the other cast members in reacting more naturally to Ferrell's seemingly non-secretary lines. Ooh, that was hot, baby. Mm. 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 You pulled it off. Oh, non-secretary. 
I love Don Sequiturs. Ooh, Emma Thompson in your ear. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Number B, Dame Emma Thompson wore no makeup in this movie. Not needed, baby. She mm. didn't need a stitch. Oh, not at all. <laughs> and just how we like her, bare-faced and maybe someday bare-assed. Papa, you want to give us number C? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> the movie's cast include three Oscar winners: Dustin Hoffman, Emma Thompson, and Linda Hunt. It includes three additional Oscar nominees: the one and only Maggie Gyllenhaal, mm, hot brother, hot family, hot Queen Latifah, and Tom Hulce. Hoche, Duce. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Il Duce. Le Duce, Don Hoche. And on that note, that was the sexy trivia game. I think Tom Hulse, because he's the guy from Amadeus. You know what? I have never had to pronounce his name out loud in my entire right. life. Um, I only know because I went through a period where I had a big crush on him after I saw Amadeus. <laughs> Ah uh, man, he has such a sad life story. I almost feel bad for reading his name inappropriately in a sexy voice. <laughs> Wait, what happened um, in his life? Yeah. I don't. I just know the movies. Well, the thing is, I think the last time I heard about him, it was with a Guardian article talking oh. about his sad life. Am I wrong? Oh, no. Does he have a great life? I'm gonna Google <laughs> Tone who a sad life, and oh, I'm going to see. I, I hope well, Hulche had a good life. <laughs> There are quite a few articles saying oh. that it's being silenced. Yeah. Oh, damn. Oh, man. I hate yeah. to hear that. I hate when bad things happen to hot people. I know. I know. <laughs> this is terrible. Only only hot people matter, really. Bad <laughs> exactly. things happen to regular people. I'm not a fuss. Yeah, exactly. Tragedy can befall me. That's fine. But leave the hotties alone, please. Exactly. <laughs> Being born with my face was already a tragedy. But can you imagine having everything in your life and something sad happens? It's a shift. I was born prepared. Exactly. We know what's up. Margot Robbie, please. What's she going to do if something bad happens? I cannot oh, imagine. <laughs> I will say for Tom Hulse, there is a movie when I was going through his filmography that I watched with him and Ray Liotta, where um, the line in Tropic Thunder where they say never go the full R word comes to mind because he really, he goes for it in a way that is quite uncomfortable to watch. Uh, Not as that as we do today. <laughs> That's Dominic and Eugene, right? I yep. went into. I, I I am going to get crucified for this, but for a long time in my life, I hated Ray Liotta. Ooh. I thought he was like the biggest phony of all time. But really? it turned out I was just dumb and stupid <laughs> and did not know better. And I went through like a massive Ray Liotta watch. Oh, when yeah? I'm like, you know what? Something needs to change for me. And yeah. it's. Do I love him dearly? Mm. No, but mm. I appreciate what he does. And he's pretty hot in that weird little film. So, Ooh, yeah, yeah, he's pretty. I mean, I love an acne scar. So, you know, a guy who's a little pockmarked, it really does it for me. <laughs> so Ray Liotta's good in my books. <laughs> mm, that is nice. It shows they lived. This is exactly. a hot person who has gone through some form of hardship. There is terrain. Yes. Oh, mm. but we're not here to talk about Ray Liotta. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah. a geographic base. Oh, that's a great way to put it. I love that. <laughs> Well, speaking of geographic faces, uh, not to the extent of uh, Ray Liotta, but Emma Thompson's face in this movie, she's got, she's got a face. Oh, man. It's just everything here that involves Emma Thompson and Emma Thompson's character just works for me. Mm. A writer, that's number mm. one. Disheveled, that's number two. Slightly depressed, number three. Gorgeous hair, just like everywhere. She hasn't really brushed that in six days, probably. <laughs> I don't know, last time she showered. I doubt that she thought about what she was wearing when she went outside. I think that's mm-hmm. just so confident. And she's yeah. struggling. She has writer's block and I think that makes her approachable, you know, um, a human being. So, yeah. Yeah. She's interesting as a a figure in this movie because she feels like you don't see many female characters quite like this. You see a lot of male characters of the sort of like singularly focused artist, disheveled, kind of gross, you know, smoking Mm -hmm. and spitting into her tissues and, you know, looking... You know, she looks beautiful in the movie, but she looks quite unglamorous. Mm. And so it's it's really exciting to see a woman doing this kind of role. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting to have a film in which she's an author who has a brilliant career and mm. who is considered a genius and whose work is studied by men universities mm. and not just a chick flick writer, which mm. no judgment. I love my chick flicks or my chick <laughs> lit my chick lit books um but i feel like there's a lot of movies when a successful female writer either writes erotic fiction which who good for you or (laughs) chick lit which also good for you but it's very rare to see a woman who a professor at a university stops and says this is going to be the greatest work of american literature of the century and i think that's so good that you should die for it (laughs) i know i was like ah just just get over with will ferrell already you know but it's fine it's okay women keep sacrificing their success exactly honestly will ferrell misogynist for not dying in this movie a hundred percent a hundred percent this is anti-feminist Yes. That film does not pass the Bechdel test. I don't well, know if Feral that's true. Do not quote me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hashtag no, cancelled. <laughs> yeah. Cross the picket line. You just heard it here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I actually sorry. think that this movie does pass the Bechdel test because there are so many great conversations between Queen Latifah and mm-hmm. Emma Thompson that are only, they they're do... solely about her work. Yeah, but they do involve a male character. This is true, but I'm thinking talking of about- like them sitting out in the rain when they're like imagining car mm. crashes or when they go to the hospital. Like it's more sort of like abstract about like the work of the that writer rather than yeah, than this book's in specific. Yeah, that's that funny. I hadn't true. thought about it in that way, but that's yeah, that's very refreshing. And I look yeah, at me it's bringing in the feminist movies. <laughs> Seriously, thank you so that's much. Me. It's about time. <laughs> I know, like people call me Simone de Beauvoir. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you say that, I mean, it is interesting because, you know, I was saying it was rare to kind of see a character like Emma Thompson's in a movie, but I mean, you read about the lives of so many female writers and they, they are a mm-hmm. lot like her, like, you know what, we're going to play a little game later on. So someone I included is, uh, that we're going to talk about is Marguerite Dura, who is like one mm-hmm. of my favorite writers. And I mean, she feels very similar. I mean, she's getting drunk all day, smoking endless cigarettes and just kind of like 
all askew. <laughs> so yeah, like mm. it does feel very real to life, but it's interesting that that sort of real to life phenomenon isn't something that is seen that frequently on screen. Yeah, and this film is is going to be 20 years old pretty soon, and I don't think after that there have been many other um, films that have approached that type of character. I've been trying to, to wrangle my mind a little bit, um, but yeah, I can't think of many really. Yeah. Well, so speaking of it turning 20 soon, which is horrifying because the fact that I remember seeing it as a teenager and that's almost 20 years away is deeply upsetting to me. Um, but do you remember when you first saw this movie? <laughs> yeah. So I went, as every hot girl does in a point in her life, through a long Charlie Kaufman face. Yep. So I was obsessed with Charlie Kaufman. Everything in my life was like, wow, Charlie Kaufman, he's doing it like no one else. This man mm-hmm. is a genius. <laughs> and I watched Adaptation. Um, and I loved that film. I thought it was incredible. I also went through a bit of a Spike Jonze phase in my life. Yeah. And they go hand after in hand. that. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> And I just thought I wanted to watch some more films that kind of approached existentialism through writers and fiction and playing with fiction and nonfiction and mm-hmm. idea diegesis and auto diegesis. And um, this is how I stumbled on Stranger Than Fiction. Mm. And, and I like it more than I do adaptation now. And, and it's a film oh, that yeah? I rewatch quite often. Yeah, I just think it's just so earnest while Mm. being so clever that Mm -hmm. first watch i was just smitten when when will fettel shows up to maggie gyllenhaal and he says i brought you flowers i still get the the, (laughs) i still get the chills i think that's one of the greatest romantic lines of modern cinema and i'm not even i'm usually really hyperbolic but i'm a (laughs) hundred percent serious here you know, I think yeah. that's a great line. I think that's a great film. I think the message at the end, just mm. lovely. Um, just a lovely film. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up the sort of earnestness of it in comparison to Charlie Kaufman. Because So we did watch um, Being John Malkovich for the show a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't seen it for a few years. And something that was very striking to me is that, you know, I remembered the cleverness of the structure, but I forgot how just kind of deeply sad it is and how heartbreaking it is and I do think that there is a sort of darkness and maybe a a sort of nihilism to Kaufman that yeah is like just Mm -hmm. not present at all in this movie this movie is so sort of hopeful which I think Emma Thompson then makes an interesting counterpoint in it because she feels so kind of there's a little sort of like early 2000s kind of like poppy borderline twee earnestness in it and she feels like Mm -hmm. such a great anchor to it because her performance feels so grounded yeah, and it's not a film that is constantly preaching the idea of a happy ending as the only mm. ending. And I think yeah. as someone who's very drawn to nihilistic films in general, mm. I can still find that here. And mm. the rhythms at the beginning and the idea of him counting his his deep, his deep brushing and his steps and his life mm. being just measured in that way. And then you're thinking of this idea of measuring everything you do and then that that parallel with writing when you're literally measuring every single part of your of your narrative and trying to understand where you're going to find a pacing and a rhythm Mm. there's so much to this film that if we weren't here to be slightly hornier i would probably speak on (laughs) for like three hours i think it's great and i i find it kind of heartbreaking when people dismiss 
really clever, interesting existential films because they do lean into earnestness. I think it's yeah. lovely when a film is able to to manage that, and yeah. it's really hard to do. Oh, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's such a tricky balance. So when you first saw the film, were you immediately in, like drawn to Emma Thompson? You know what? My first watch was all about Maggie Gyllenhaal because yeah. it's very hard not to be, <laughs> and you're just thinking of her a lot. And then I rewatched this film fairly often. I'll see maybe every couple of years it would just mm. be on Netflix and I would just watch it. And as I grew older, I'm like, you know what? F baking. I don't want people who bake and who are anarchists. Anarchy is a lie. No one can be an anarchist. This woman needs to pay her taxes. Like, this is too much stress. Do not bang your RS, man. Is, no. And then as I grew older and grumpier, I'm like, you know what? You know who's the person for me. She was there all along. The one and only. Emma Thompson. And I just, ah. Uh, I just fell in love with her on rewatches and all her little mannerisms and mm. the things that I feel we take for granted a lot of times when we yeah. see her on screen. Uh, and she's just so good here. She has relatively little screen time when you mm. when you think about it for her to be such a to be a main character, but her voice is yeah. so sexy i'm like yeah. oh if this person was telling me i was gonna die i can't be into it you know yeah. i don't yeah. think be i feel like sad. the only reason i don't want to die is because i want to keep listening to you baby <laughs> no usher me into heaven yeah. mm. that would be nice yeah yeah her voice is incredible and yeah it is interesting like because as you say she doesn't have as much screen time as you know say will ferrell but the voice is ever present and it does really make you appreciate her as an actor that her ex expressive abilities that it's not just i mean so many actors are so reliant especially movie actors i think are so much more reliant mm -hmm. on their their physical presence and especially on the face um that it can sometimes the voice can sometimes be neglected a bit so it's really interesting to hear just the the sheer like flexibility and musicality of her voice yeah and we were talking about spike jonesy earlier and it's just that idea of scarlett johansson in your ear mm. or to think of someone who has an iconic voice like morgan freeman that yeah. you don't need to see them on screen you don't need to have their image attached the moment they hear their voice mm. it is immediately there and once again there are not many actors that i can think of that have that sort of a presence like willem dafoe um, yeah that is just there and with Emma mm -hmm. Thompson it, it very much is you can hear her narrating and she does that for some other films and, and especially when she mm -hmm. goes a bit more um fantastical and she's like Nanny <laughs> McPhee um <Right. laughs> and it's just it's so good because it is is that it doesn't become a repetitive device it doesn't become a nagging device mm -hmm. um because she's just so good in, in that voice performance yeah yeah, I mean, it's so interesting seeing her in the scenes with um, Dustin Hoffman, who plays the professor in the film, because, I mean, obviously these are two of our, like, you know, greatest film actors, and, you know, Dustin Hoffman is incredible, but you do really see, I think, the difference, or more appropriately hear the difference in sort of, like, British actors and American actors, and obviously it's, like, tailored to the roles that they're playing as well, but, you know, Dustin Hoffman's doing his vocal Dustin Hoffman thing of being like, 
oh, so why you come here? Oh, so you think you're in the book? Okay. And then she's got this like plummy English, like, Harold Craig. So it's <laughs> it's funny seeing those or hearing those those different like national styles kind of like side by side. Yeah, I am a sucker for enunciation. I think it is beautiful. I I am Brazilian and my home language is Portuguese mm-hmm. and Portuguese is a language that can only work through vowels. You can only make sounds mm. through vowels. So it's very open and ahs and os. And I remember when I first started learning English and I used to watch a lot of American TV shows and friends and then you start mm. watching films and I could not, I I struggled a lot to, to find a distinction in the sounds. Mm. And then when I started watching British shows and in British films, I'm like, ah, I can kind of see how this works. And, mm. and I was very attracted to that because I could understand, which is <laughs> a, a vital, like it's a key piece of seduction to be able to understand what people are saying. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> it does help. Hmm, it is nice. Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you live in Scotland, which, I mean, even for some English speakers, some Scottish accents can feel a bit impenetrable. So, I mean, you were you know, growing up learning English off of these uh, British shows where oftentimes people have more sort of like standard British accents. Did you, Have you found, like, as you've been living in the UK, that it's uh, that you have a hard time navigating some accents there just because there's so many? <laughs> Not really. It's really funny because people tend to think that I would struggle, especially with the northern accent here in Aberdeen, because mm. they have a dialect called Doric. But I, I, fi- I don't find that bad. I find that mm. I can understand what people say quite easily. I struggle more with Americans, like from LA, yeah. when they're slurring There's and no everything's like, 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 exactly. <laughs> I find this so hard because once I don't want to offend anyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but you know I what they sound monotone. like. Come on. <laughs> oh, I know, I know, but it, it's so monotone. Then I, I don't really get. Sometimes here I get out of the context and people mm. make such a fuss. Scottish people are quite um, similar to Brazilian people in a way that they're very loud and they speak with their body and yeah. you can kind of get that. So I find that easier than than certain American accents, surprisingly enough. But I, I find it hard to dis- yeah, I find it hard to distinguish them. Like I will never know if I hear mm. someone, I'm like, hmm, he's from Bolton. No. But but I can usually understand. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, there's so much of like a homogenization of a lot of American accents, at least in the last like maybe 50 years or so, that it's always like a surprise and like a fun, like exciting thing when you hear like a Philadelphia ex- accent in the wild and you're like, oh, they still have it or like a Baltimore accent. You're like, oh, <laughs> look at that. Well, where are you from? I'm from Georgia originally, but I've lived in New York for like all of my adult life, basically. So I've very oh. much become familiarized with the Northeast uh, <laughs> accent variations. <laughs> But they're always a treat. That, that's the thing. For me, New York's like Friend Drescher or yeah. any Scorsese movies. Right. They're all kind of half Italian. Right. I just, <laughs> but I do I do like New York accents. They are nice. Um, oh, yeah. They're great. I mean, everybody loves them. And that's why like Ryan Gosling did a fake one for like 15 years <laughs> before he started speaking with his real voice. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. It's like, I know you're a Mormon from Canada. <laughs> you cut it out. With that face, and he's making an effort. With that True. face, he could be speaking like complete gibberish in any <laughs> film that he's in. And I'm like, give them the Oscar. Yeah, give it to him. Beautiful performance. <laughs> Gorgeous. Oh. <laughs> well, so going back to Emma Thompson, I mean, she, I was 
really amazed watching it because sometimes I, I think because she's so recognizably herself in every film, I forget just what range she has. Because, I mean, like, a character like this is so different from, you know, Sense and Sensibility, which is so different from, you know, you mentioned Nanny McPhee. It's so different from Much Ado About Nothing. So are, are you familiar with much of her career? And are there other performance of, uh, performances of hers that you find particularly interesting? Yeah. So I I am always quite happy whenever she shows up in a film. <laughs> I think she has such a, a wonderful screen presence. And I think that over the past few years, she has taken quite a lot of roles. And mm-hmm. I think people started, people, myself including, started taking her for granted a little bit. Mm-hmm. That she's just going to be there and, and show up in, in random <laughs> English films. <laughs> um, but I love her in quite a few, well, Sense of Sensibility is mm-hmm. probably the first memory I have of mm-hmm. Emma Thompson. And I love when she goes a bit gloomy. I think people are quite people are quite harsh on a film like Love Actually, for example, where I think she's absolutely great. Oh, and best part. I know, she's incredible. And then there's she's sometimes she shows up for a little bit, like in an education, and mm. it's just so wonderful. And most recently, I think she did a movie, I don't know if you saw this last year, called Good Luck to Ilya Grand. I haven't seen yeah. it, but I, it looks fantastic. Oh, man, that film is so good. That film is, she has a role that an actress has to take at a certain point of their career when there's just mm. so much confidence and so much know-how to be able to take mm. on a role like that and to make it more than you know, what it is in the page. Mm. And she's just wonderful. She's so, char- so charming. And and that, that we've been saying, the ability to navigate comedy and drama and mm. illusion and illusion and nihilism and <laughs> ecstasy all at once in a two-hander of a film that has a very simple premise and mm. delivers such strong performances and she's mm. wonderful i'm trying to think if there's anything else that i remember emma thompson in just mm. being a bit headstruck Patty, yeah. I think sense of sensibility is it Howard's End maybe oh she's um, fantastic in that yeah that is a film that it took me a little while to to watch surprisingly mm. enough but that is a great film and she's great in it I don't think she's ever terrible I think people who say Emma Thompson <laughs> can be terrible are joyless joyless <laughs> yes. they don't know what they're talking about I've never seen her be bad in a single thing and I think it's interesting in this film that I think oftentimes when actors I don't want to make sweeping statements about actors but not all of them are particularly bright um so sometimes mm-hmm. it seems a bit out of place when they play someone who's supposed to be very self-consciously intellectual like oftentimes you'll see an actor playing a you know a writer or a professor and you'll be like mm-hmm. nah, I don't quite believe it but you know mm-hmm. she I think because she leads with such intelligence as an actor like I fully believe her as you know a genius writer yeah and she is a genius writer because she is also true. a writer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think yeah, Oscar she just writer. had exactly just a Dame Emma Thompson, the yes. one and only, with that gorgeous husband of hers that they've been together for like twenty five oh. years. Yes, after Wonderful. that snake cheated on her. <laughs> do not do not say his name here. This is a safe space and we will not say his name here. Yeah, no. Google it if you don't know, but we will not we will not 
dirty this google this, it this zoom on incognito so yes. his numbers don't go up yes. <laughs> don't want that no we stand with emma thompson here yes. um that's the that whole the whole love oh. triangle is just one of the weirdest little tidbits of right. british pop's history oh god it's um, so juicy <laughs> God, there was a moment I was a bit obsessed with British oh, tabloid pop history. Oh, yeah, gosh. <laughs> that's bad. We have been there. I am yeah. recovering. Yeah. It is a journey, um, uh, but I'll get there and it'll be okay. <laughs> Did I relapse last year and read Prince Harry's autobiography? Perhaps oh, <laughs> with his frostbitten <laughs> penis. <laughs> oh my god! And I listened to the audiobook, so he was telling me that story oh, my in god. my ear. <laughs> It was like weird husky voice. <laughs> something shifted for me that day when I became um, kind of like, maybe I don't want to have any intimate relationships with anyone else in my life. That part of my life is over. Yes. It's gone. I had a good I'm run. I'm not celibate. Yeah, it's fine. Um, this image will be again. in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I know. Oh, I know. But no, you're absolutely correct. I don't know why I brought Prince Harry into this conversation because you are correct. Emma Thompson does have a delicious intellectual aura and mm. she can and so does Dustin Hoffman like to, to go back yeah. into it I kind of wish we got a bit of a spin-off and just get 45 <laughs> minutes of him interviewing her for his book right that'd be great oh my gosh yeah no that is a, such a cool relationship in in the film that his fixation with her work because again like you said to see this like male academic with this particular interest in this this woman writer because it does sometimes feel like in in academia the women can become and not always obviously there are outliers but sometimes women's women's writing can become sort of siloed and that you know it's probably partially just the the vagaries of you know academia is like a you know quote-unquote industry that you know you mm-hmm. have to sort of have like a, a take on someone so I mean oftentimes I think that women writers end up getting put in this like feminist box even if their work mm-hmm. isn't like particularly feminist um but yeah, but it has to be like read through that lens. But yeah, so it's exciting to see that yeah. sort of like relationship of his like obsession with her and her work. I just love when when she shows up for the first time within their world on TV mm-hmm. in his office. Yeah. And he kind of has this throwaway line that is just so good. And he goes to Will Ferrell and he's like, well, she wasn't on my list because I thought you would have mentioned that she's British. Yeah. Like <laughs> you have never mentioned right. this. Yeah. and it's just so good it's this little snippet of him he's looking down he's like well she's obviously not on my list because i thought he would have mentioned that she's british right and <laughs> and that random that for me is the weirdest little plot line in that film because for him to be re-watching that interview right like, how obsessed is this man with this yeah, woman I was like, is he prepping for a course or something like is he getting his yeah. materials in order for a class maybe <laughs> yeah because over the years when I rewatched it, I, I went through different phases when I'm like, maybe he just has things playing on the background all the time mm. and he has some yeah. cassettes and there's just serendipity. Or maybe he's a complete freak <laughs> and he's completely obsessed with this woman. Right. And if he ever gets to meet her, bad things will happen. Right. Um, but yeah, you do get a lot from, from a little snippet of that film. That's funny that you say that because that is another thing that I really like about that relationship in the film is that like it, it does set you up with the possibility, I think, especially as like a woman viewer that you might think like, oh God, like if she meets him, is he, is it going to be like he's in love with her or something? And it's lovely Mm -hmm. that like, not at all. He doesn't really particularly care about her personal life. He just cares about her work. And that's very gratifying. (laughs) 
I know, and and he's able to give her such honest feedback right away, which is also yeah. really lovely. When she comes back and and she trusts him almost mm-hmm. immediately, it's like, look, yeah. this is my book, read it, uh, and it's not a shame, but it, you kind of get a bit hungry thinking, wow, why is this only happening in the third act? I wish I had a little bit more right. of that back yeah. and forth, but that's that's what you get. Yeah, and it's very gratifying when it when it does come, like you know, because you felt like it's been building to it this whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But so, other than Emma Thompson, I mean, do you remember the first like movie crush that you had? Ah, oh, man, you know what? I did like many other people who have come on this podcast, especially w- women. Mm-hmm. I have gone through a phase of white winks, and <laughs> I re- yes. like. What can I say? Like when we are thirteen and fourteen, we're very susceptible to bad taste. And I was just, I I was a bit in love with Zac Efron from oh. High School Musical. Yeah, I was absolutely obsessed with him. And then Robert Pattinson and Twilight, quite obviously. Oh my gosh! But I think the first time I felt something kind of physical, you know, mm. and I'm like, oh my god, this person just. <laughs> Unreal. I think it was Rebecca Romjin in Femme Fatale, the the Brian oh. Powell film. Oh, There's yeah. a scene in that. F- Have you watched that film? I haven't seen that one yet. I've oh. been working through De Palma because I was kind of like tried to stay away from De Palma for a few years, and then recently I've like now I'm obsessed. <laughs> but I used to be like oh, this misogynist. <laughs> oh, and now I'm like, ooh, this misogynist. I love him. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I misogyny aside. Um, that film played once late on Brazilian television and I was young and I was watching it and there's this scene when it's the Cannes Film Festival of all places (laughs) and there's this two she, Rebecca Romden is a um, a criminal obviously Mm -hmm. and she's trying to steal this very elaborate kind of like bra corset that's filled with diamonds and is hot as hell woman who's wedding it so she takes her to the bathroom and she seduces her it's like starts undressing her and then she takes the diamonds out it's like oh my god this is so hot (laughs) i was in my room i was over myself in the living room it was probably too late i shouldn't be watching tv and i'm i'm looking around we're like oh my god is someone watching me is someone watching me because i'm getting all i'm getting confused here I don't oh want to share the moment with anyone else. <laughs> Do you remember how old you yeah. were when this happened? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, maybe a, maybe 12, 13. Oh, that's perfect. Maybe that, yeah, that perfect turning maybe. age where you're suddenly like, huh. Hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> that was just, I think that was my first time where, you know, you just don't want anyone to walk in, even though yeah. you're not doing anything. And you're yeah. like, no one can walk in. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm gonna sorry, catch I didn't me do here. anything. I'm fine. I am so sorry. I know. <laughs> and you're so tense. You're like, I shouldn't be watching this. Right. It's all in your head, but like your head is like feeling so horny that you're just like, if anyone saw me, they would know. <laughs> they would. No, they can smell it. They can yes. smell the pheromones. Something has changed. Exactly. It was like, the oh, air is different now. <laughs> I know. I feel like when I revisit that memory, there's almost like Lizzie McGuire the little drawing cartoon on my shoulder going like, and now you are a woman. Like, oh my God, thank you, tiny Lizzie McGuire. Um, (laughs) But yeah. That's perfect. Oh my gosh. Well, so 
these are all very different types. Like she and Emma Thompson and Zac Efron and uh, Robert Pattinson, these are all extremely different actors. So do you think that like it either in your viewing crushes or like in your personal life, would you say you have any sort of like type or is it just, are you kind of omnivorous? Oh man, this, once again, I think <laughs> it might have been a mistake for me to come here on this podcast today <laughs> because <laughs> no, but I, I tell my friends all the time that I am intellectually and emotionally and spiritually horny. It's not just <laughs> a physical state for me. For me yes. is a state of being is almost nirvana. I can be horny about almost anyone as long as they haven't committed some serious war crimes or aren't a legitimately no terrible person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, unless they're a dictator, yeah. um, it would be really hard for me not to find something hot in yeah. basically everyone. So I don't, I don't have a type. I remember when, when you asked me to, to submit a list of people I thought hot, it just took me eight days because yeah. I, I think everyone's hot. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> title of the show. <laughs> I know, ta-da! But I do, I do. I find that a lot of the times in a movie, it's just about someone who's a bit um, geeky or mm. someone who's funny. I love funny yeah. guys and girls and everyone who's funny and confident and comfortable mm. and. I just, yeah, I'm drawn to that. And then Alfred Molina, who's in his own category. Oh, my God. Okay, what's your number one Alfred Molina? Oh, God, I love you, said Alfred Molina. <laughs> um, I love Alfred Molina. I have, like, six Alfred Molina t-shirts. Oh, my One of my God. options for this today was, like, Alfred Molina. I think he's hot in everything. <sighs> I think he's hot in Spider-Man. I think he's <sighs> hot in everything. Um, you are really a woman just... after my own heart. Everything you're saying, like, <laughs> this is really great for me. <laughs> What is that man is just so incredible when he gave that interview I think I don't remember who for maybe it was a guardian and he said mm. I would do anything I'm a little bit of a slut that way I oh. live by that yeah that is wonderful when he said the word slut once mm. again something shifted within me yes <laughs> so yeah my type is everyone and Alfred Molina god I love that yeah a man calling himself a slut that really gives me a little like a little you know flick to Tingles. the bean you know yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's so hot oh god and I feel like he's got there's a certain sort of um British insouciance that I feel like you can pull off saying like hey, I'm a slut for doing this you know <laughs> I feel like American men can't do it as well <laughs> and he has that thing when he's British but he's not fully British yeah so you notice there's a bit of mystique yeah. <laughs> you know a little bit of a hmm yeah I don't know what to, how to describe but yeah, and I'm Latina, so a, a lot of Latin figures were very sexually formative for me. Yeah. Um, but that was telenovelas, which oh, I watched yeah. a lot, and mm. none of my Scottish friends or British friends really do know who these people are. <laughs> yeah. But I just, I think if you are on television or if you are mm. in a movie, yeah. 90% of the time is because you have something that makes other people want to watch you. So it's very yeah. easy for me to find everyone beautiful. <laughs> That's so real. Oh my gosh. Well, so this is, a, you said this is one of your favorite films um, and you mentioned some things that are, you know, somewhat similar, like the, the Charlie Kaufman movies, the Spike Jones movies. If you were to recommend this movie, or if you were to recommend another movie to someone who loved this movie or to plan a double feature of this 
of Stranger Than Fiction with something else, what would that other movie be for you? Well, adaptations one. Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you said John Malkovich because being John Malkovich is another one that I recommend. Mm. And Truman Show, surprisingly enough, I think yeah. would be an interesting companion to this idea of someone living a parallel reality where they demand character and they don't know. Oh, that's um, a great one. Mm, I think yeah. that would be a really interesting double bill. Oh, I agree. Yeah, I think for me, as I was trying to think about it, um, I just recently saw Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson film. Mm. Um, And I think that these would actually make a really good pairing because I think something that I find really lovely in Stranger Than Fiction is that he's both existing as a fictional character, but also as a real person. So he's he's a constructed work of fiction in many ways, but that doesn't make his experiences any less real. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I found really moving in Asteroid City is the fact that if anyone hasn't seen it, um, the way it's structured, it's like (laughs) there are three layers to it, basically. It's like you're watching a TV show that's about a play that was being written in the mid-century. Then then you see the plot of the play as like the sort of main like color sequence of the film. So as we're watching the main sequence, like we know that it's fiction, we know that it's part of a play, but it doesn't lessen the emotional impact of it. And there's a beautiful scene, if you don't want spoilers for Asteroid City, uh, skip ahead 30 seconds. <laughs> but there's a beautiful scene with Margot Robbie where uh, you know there's this conversation, she plays an actress who didn't get a role in the play and she's talking to Jason Schwartzman, who's one of the actors in the play. And they sort of like recount the scene that they read in the audition. And for like this brief little moment, it becomes, even though she's not even in the play itself, but that this imagined scenario that they share becomes so real. And yeah, it, I found it, I started like bawling in the theater when that happened. And it was like, yeah, I felt like the same kind of like emotional tug with Stranger Than Fiction that had that kind of interesting thing of like, you know, created, created works are in their own ways real, you know? Yeah, that's beautiful. I think... Um, this idea of a simulacrum and Diora and, and not to get too Walter Benjamin about it, but, yeah. but the idea of what is constructed and what isn't is yeah. is really interesting. And when explored cinematically, it's very fertile ground. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so <laughs> we're, we're running low on time, but we do like to uh, play a little game before we let people go. So um, it's different every week, uh, but this one I gave you a real challenge. It's um, we're going to be playing Fuck, Mary Kill, but we each had to choose three authors uh, and then we have to, we will, for our own authors that we chose, we'll do a Fuck, Mary Kill for them. So Rafa, do you want to start out with yours? All right, this was really hard because for all the horniness that is within me when I watch things, it's not that existent when I read things, surprisingly enough. So yeah. I, I don't think I, I thought a lot about hot authors. Mm-hmm. But looking back at writers whose work I either love or deeply enjoy, and I also think are very hot, I came up with three. The first one is very obvious. People are going to make fun of me. Um, but Jack Kiriak. Is such a babe. That man was gorgeous. Oh my god! Honestly, yes, should not be allowed. So that's my number one. My number two is a Brazilian writer and singer called Chico Buarque, who is one oh a hundred percent a babe. Just gorgeous, beautiful, beautiful man. Gorgeous baby blue eyes. 
brilliant writer, brilliant musician. Yeah. Has a book called Budapest that, Ooh. if you're so inclined to read, I greatly recommend. And the down. third one is Isabella Lende, the Chilean writer. Oh yes, who wrote The House of the Spirits and City of the Beasts. Yeah. Who's just brilliant, wonderful woman. Yes. She was so chic, gorgeous hair, oh, just a yeah, presence. She's so glamorous. Super yeah. glamorous. She's giving old Hollywood glamour. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what is the order for those? I know that's going to be really hard to choose, but who are you going to fuck? Who are you going to marry? And who are you going to kill? I don't think that's so hard for me, surprisingly okay. enough. Okay. I think I will kill our beloved Jack Kiriak because yeah. I don't think we want that in our lives. I think we need to be healthy. <laughs> It is 2023. That boy mm. drank a lot, was involved in murder, and yes. he's American. We don't need it. No. <laughs> the greatest Slander. crime of all. <laughs> the greatest crime of all. How could he? <laughs> I am so, with you. Let's go. That's a great choice. <laughs> gone, gone with Jack. Yeah. I would take to bed, to bed my beautiful Shiku who's gorgeous mm, just love it. ah a piece but a bit of a womanizer so let's have Ooh. a bit of pleasure and, and let it go yeah and okay. then i would marry isabel i think we would have oh, a beautiful yes. life oh, a quaint God. life yeah. i read once that she she only starts new books on the 8th of january so the other 364 so days <laughs> it's so chic she cannot start work i wish i could do that that's my dream yeah. To tell people I only work, I only start new work. This day, she is yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we would vibe. We would have a yeah. beautiful life together in our little house, and that would I feel be like your great. house would be so well decorated. Oh my god, it would be. I have to say, <laughs> it would be gorgeous. Yes. We so, shades of like olive green. Oh. Mm. Oh. Olive green's hot. I'm getting horny now. Yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about it. The Dulux color. Oh my oh god. God. Ooh, thinking about your wainscoting. I'm like, mm. <laughs> oh no, I can smell it. I can smell it now. Yes. That's it. That's my life. That's beautiful. I'm curious oh about god. yours now. Okay, so I had a hard time. I kept going back and forth on one of the the spots, but I landed on so the one that I had to get rid of. <coughs> pardon me. I was going to include James Joyce because obviously he'd be a great mm -hmm. choice for fuck. <coughs> anyway, great choice for fuck um, based on his love letters with Nora. Um, I am mm -hmm. someone who uh, is sometimes a bit gassy because I drink a lot of seltzer. So the idea that he loved huffing up her farts is um, a real comfort to me. <laughs> but, but, but I had to cut out, cut out Joyce and I landed on Marguerite Duras, uh, Edward Said, and Anton Chekhov. So I think that I would have to go with uh, Fuck Duras. She's very sensual. I love how she writes about sex in her books. She's always got these neat little lesbian love scenes where they're like, I cupped her little grapefruit breast. And I'm like, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, I do think I have a grapefruit breast. Yeah, right. Yeah, mine are getting closer to like cantaloupes, but like, you know, <laughs> she can make do. <laughs> but she's always got like sensual French ladies having sex with each other. So I love that. 
Um, I think I'd have to marry Saeed because I love his uh, memoir, Out of Place. And you know, I, he just he seems so romantic. He had a pretty, you know, nice, steady life working at Columbia. He had a good job. He liked to listen to classical music. We'd put on records at night. I think we'd have a, a nice, cozy little marriage. And so unfortunately, that means I'd have to kill Chekhov. But I will stipulate that it would be a mercy killing when he was in the late stages of TV. Well, I think you are correct. I don't think we want to be bringing Chekhov too deeply into our lives. We don't want to be bringing any of those Russians or people from that area like Tolstoy. They don't seem like they would would be good for us. Yeah, I mean, and Chekhov was a notorious uh, cheater. So he's got to go. Can't be dealing with that. Do not need this in my life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that was a great round of Fuck Mary Kill. And oh my God, Rafa, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh man, this was great. I'm going to be a bit sad when I listen to new episodes and they're not with me because I'm going to think of all the things we could be talking about. You've got to come back. You know, as you know now, I do have an endless list of people hurting their heart. So, well, you will be hearing from us because we want to dig deeper into this list, and we definitely want to dig into Alfred Molina. So, this if you do an Alfred Molina episode and it's not with me, I will be <laughs> deeply hurt. I would be crying. I would not talk to you ever again. I that swear is, to you on Emma Thompson's life, we will not do Alfred Molina without you. Hell yeah! This is what I was born to do: the Alfred Molina yes. episode. Well, Rafa, for people that want to follow you, where can they find you on social media? And do you have anything coming up that people should look out for? Well, you can find me on social media at Hafiz. So it's R-A-F-I-E-W-S, pretty much everywhere. I've started a thread, I've started a blue sky, I've started a gray sky, I've started everything else you can find. Um, And coming up, so I programmed the Edinburgh Film Festival. So if you're in the UK by any chance, it is between the 18th and the 23rd of August. And we have a beautiful selection of beautiful films with beautiful people. So if you think (laughs) everyone is hot, you will find much hotness within our festival. Oh my God. What a great sell. Jeez. Well, uh, this was delightful. Thank you so much for coming. You will be back. I cannot wait. It's going to be so fun. Um, and in the meantime, listeners, if you, uh, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast. If you go onto Apple podcasts though, you can, uh, rate us five stars and leave us a little review and we'd very much appreciate it. So thank you very much. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter. We have yet to get on threads. Um, but we are on those platforms now at Everyone is Hot Pod. That's one as a numeral one, not O and E. Everyone is Hot Pod. And in the meantime, until we meet again, please stay horny. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.